like y'all get closer to your headphones or to your speaker we are running out of recipes we need more doctors we need more lawyers we need more people that can fix things we need plumbers we need teachers we need people with the collars that are blue I know that YouTube and social media and the internet is making a way for all of us to create really beautiful lives of living on the internet and getting paid for it. But mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, what are y'all going to do in 2052 when ain't no doctors out here but the ones on the TikTok? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Normalize This, the show where we discuss whether or not ideas, trends, and behaviors should be normalized in everyday society. My name is Danielle Young. And I'm Adam Rippon. Yes, we love to hear it, Adam. You sound it's just so crisp and clear. I feel, I feel like I'm giving good voice today. Yeah, I feel like we should be on our best foot because today we're going to be discussing normalizing failure. And you got to be a strong bitch to talk about failure, right? Yeah, you do. Which is why I pounded down a Celsius <laughs> right before this started. So I just want you to know that if I didn't feel like a failure ever in my life, I do feel like one now because the anxiety of pounding down a Celsius, it says live fit. It feels like I'm going to live I really don't longer. even know what a Celsius is. Am I in the wrong tax bracket? No, or- you're not. No, <laughs> No, Celsius is, uh, I'm going to read what it says. It says burns body fat. It's probably because my heart is, my like beats per minute is like 180 right now. I am afraid. I don't know, Fran. You should not be just casually drinking stuff like that. (sighs) Well, (laughs) if that hasn't enticed you to listen to this entire episode, I don't know what will, (laughs) but maybe after the second segment, you should stick around, definitely, because we have a segment called Keep It or Curve It. Yeah, there's a song. There is a song. And if I remember it, it will be the best day of my life. <laughs> We're going to sing it later, so you have to keep listening to hear the song. Yes, you have to keep listening. So many so enticing it, things that we... <laughs> so, so many, really, truly. Listen, but what is Keep It or Curve It? Keep It or Curve It is where we decide to keep things or curb them. It's a brilliant title. It really is. <laughs> I mostly love curbing things. That's like my favorite Me pastime. too. I don't want to keep anything. And honestly, because we are all just getting to know each other in this grand thing we called life, I always like to ask Adam, and I also do share, a very fun fact about ourselves. So Adam, what is today's fun fact? Um, to, my fun fact today is mm-hmm. that I got these Celsius drinks at Costco like a week ago because I thought that they were just like sparkling juices. Because it says like live fit and there's like an orange on it. And I didn't realize you could just eat oranges. No, no. (laughs) You are crazy, girl. I can't just eat an orange. I have to carry that oranges for health. Who would ever? I would, I would literally, I want to live fit, as it says on the front. Uh, I want to burn body fat. I want to accelerate my as metabolism. As you are literally sweating, sitting there. Yeah. I oh, am I'm, nervous. Believe me, my chair is going to be sopping wet. 
<laughs> if I'm lucky. That might be the funnest fact that Adam's ever shared about himself. It just makes me feel like I need to share something a little more current for my fun Please. fact. Please save us. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a fun fact happening for me. I made myself a cocktail to drink during this podcast. Ooh, what is your uh, cocktail of podcast choice? Today, I have a co- a couple of fresh peaches because in my house, we do love the actual fruit. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> weird. Okay. We kind of so love weird. preservatives at my house, but okay, continue. Yeah, so I have a, fresh, a couple of fresh intrigued. slices of peach, you know, and they've been soaking in a little bit of tequila that I brought back with me from Mexico. And Amazing. Yeah, because that's I like to do that. I feel like it's so basic, but I really like to bring tequila back from Mexico. Yeah, and it's very she-she. It is. It's a little on the nose, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And a little, a little dash of um, lemonade, and the cocktail is supreme, I must say. So, wow. yeah, my fun fact Beautiful. is, instead of drinking Celsius, I'm drinking a little tequila. So, for those of you out there listening, it may get a lot more fun as we go along. Good. <laughs> but before we get into our show, I don't want y'all to forget because we are in a relationship. We mm-hmm. are together. We're holding hands, interlocking fingers. You and me. I'm in your ear holes. Okay. That mm-hmm. that sounded really intense. I love it. It's very it I feels just, it feels like the intimacy that we're we've I need been them lacking. to know that I'm connected to them. Y'all, I love y'all. So because I love y'all, I need y'all to hit us up on social media. And let us know what you want to see normalized, what you want to talk about. And you can do that by hitting me up on the Twitters. I'm Rapsodani over there, R-H-A-P-S-O-D-A-N-I. And then on Instagram, I'm the Danielle Young. Just tell me some things. Tell me what you want to normalize. Adam, tell the people where they can at you. And you guys can tell me things too. So you can follow me on Instagram at Adarip and on Twitter at Adam Rippon. So anything that needs to be normalized, send that over to us and, and we will get down and and dirty if you want wow. us to. Okay? Whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I love DM slides that are just a little bit dirty. So whatever I, you need I love to do. All DM slides. Because we're normalizing the, stuff around here. It's like that's yes. kind of how we you need to lead with that. Also, wait, before you say, I want to tell them to rate the show because we need to pay our bills. So oh, like, that's right. rate it, subscribe, and you're going to start feeling our love in your veins and coursing through your hearts, especially if you drink Celsius. It's going to be going super fast. Mm-hmm. So that'll yes. cause you to like want to leave a paragraph review. Do right. that. Five stars. Listen, if you don't have a five-star review, just DM us and we'll fix it. <laughs> I'm going to okay, copy-paste it. Your DMs yeah. to our reviews from different email addresses. Yes. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Normalizing failure. Whew. Danielle. Failure is something we all have to deal with, but we don't spend enough time talking about how we handle it. Uh, yeah, because we don't want to talk about failure. It's I do. Sucks. <laughs> I do now I do that I realize now. that it's not like the end, right? Yes. I was very embarrassed and afraid of it when I was younger. Yeah, I was really like, I just didn't want to be a loser. I didn't want to not use totally. my gifts or the things that I you know, went to school for. Like, I don't know. I had this like thing on my back being like, you got to do this. So I think, but now I still have that same drive and motivation to do things, but not as strongly. I'm not as desperate. 
Yeah. I think. And so failing because I've done it, it's not a scary thing anymore. Yeah. The fear of failure is gone, but the motivation of failure is still there. Still there. Still haunting me. Mm-hmm. Listen, today we're going to carve out a safe space to talk about ways we've fallen short and destigmatize a lot of the ways that failure is viewed in our society. Let's go. You ready for that, Adam? I'm ready. Did you know that there's like a clinical name for the fear of failure? What is it? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest it. with you. I'm. <laughs> it's the word is in front of me. It truly is in front of me. It's, and I know okay. that it's an English word, but that is as we're going to give it an old, a good old try. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> at at it at a chip at a chiphobia at a chiphobia. That's a dumb name. <laughs> First that of all, I'm not going to say that about myself. How dare you? Atachophobia? Atachophobia. Atch- Do you think it's that? Atachophobia? Atachophobia. There's a Y in there that's <laughs> like, where are you Where are you taking us? Yeah. No, I don't understand. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm the clinical name. Atachophobia. Well, either way, did you know that like 31% of American adults, because you know, <laughs> this is a place that fear exists, <laughs> that right. fear exists. But That's one of our constitutional one, <laughs> rights is fear. I know it's and written failure. in the Constitution. Fear we are all promised <laughs> failure, but from our founding but 31% fathers. 31% of us Americans, adults, because, you know, children, they have mm-hmm. that freedom, um, are actually afraid of failure. Yeah. Okay. I want to know who the other 69% are who <laughs> like, aren't. Like, relax. You guys are well, just lying to yourselves. Also, that's crazy. who is the person that went around taking the survey for this? Like, me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all 31% are you afraid of, of, fearing, of failing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, 31, I'm going to be honest, that feels too low. Mm-hmm. 31%. Only 31 are at least afraid half of, of us. Like, stop it. Yeah, at least half. And the other half, <laughs> they're lying to themselves. Yeah, they're not. Where do you think like a fear of failure actually comes from? Let's dig into your childhood. Okay. <laughs> I think the fear fear of failure comes truly from I think not wanting to be embarrassed is is a key to Ugh. like being afraid of failure. I think that you know how people are always like well, not people. I always say as a joke like I'm afraid of my own potential. Mm. For everything, because it truly is, it's a fear. But I do think that there's something to it because, you know, I I think when you're trying to do something or you have a goal and you can feel so close to it, that that fear that it might not come true almost can be like a self-sabotage so that you, you know, you make that happen, that that it doesn't happen and you're because you're so afraid it might not happen. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Was that even in English? Was that atrophobia? Because I'm, <laughs> I think I have atrophobia now. It was now. giving me. It was a little atchy. I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do think you were onto something with that because I feel like every podcast episode is going to have a s- Oprah story. Like I'm just <laughs> constantly going to bring up that. Oprah. And or Beyonce. I'm done with podcasts with guests. I'm done with podcasts with with small talk. I want to talk about Oprah. Yeah, because listen, let's talk about it. Because Oprah has has said in an in interview before how she, if you're going to fail, fail big. Like mm-hmm. Oprah creating the own network. Yeah. Like let it seep into your spirit. A black woman has her own television 
network, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would call it a failure, especially over the years. And, you know, when it comes to certain numbers or or things like that. But the idea that, and she's, that, and this is an Oprah moment, not like some grand, like, revelation that I had. But Oprah was like, listen, you may call it a failure, but think about what I've done in my career as a person to be a Black woman to create a network. So if I'm going to fail, if I'm going to shoot, I might as well shoot, shoot far. Dream right. big. I know she's... Oprah and her life is very different from most of us. But the concept of that and going for it, it just, you know, it really speaks to a more positive spin on the idea of what failure is. Mm -hmm. And Danielle, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Are there any moments in your life where you felt like you were a total fraud, you were a total (sighs) failure? Because I have moments in my life, but I I want to know if you have any in yours. Or has it always just been as effortless as it seems? Listen, I think one of the things that people love most about me is that I am incredibly honest with things and with where I am and what I'm going through. So I'm very honest when I'm like Mm -hmm. not in it or I'm not doing well, but I also do not call those moments failures. I do not call myself a failure. I just Mm -hmm. understand that as a person, there are times where things are not going to be 100% great. Like, you know, okay, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. (laughs) I'm ready. So, okay, you know, I'm a journalist. I've been doing this this thing for about 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And I got the amazing opportunity uh, at the last Oscars Yes, the Oscars, the one where nobody remembers much of anything except the fact that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock in the face. Um, mm-hmm. But I got which you ch- told him to do, which, which is, is absolutely why insane. I'm telling this story. Right, <laughs> I'm the reason. I was like, if you don't slap him tonight, no, I, that wasn't me. I do not condone violence. Thank you, everyone. But I got the esteemed honor to host a red carpet moment at the Oscars. And mm-hmm. I was so excited because this was my first Oscars ever. I've hosted a lot of red carpets. I've done a lot of really amazing things, but this was my very first Oscars ever in my long career. And I was so excited because this person trusted me to just handle everything because of my caliber of expertise and professionalism. And Adam, I dropped the ball. How so? I doubt, I really, no, I highly I, doubt it. it was, I wanna... Now this, I did deem a failure because um, I'm very used to getting all the paperwork and the emails and everything about carpets and assessing everything and making sure everything, because I'm a Virgo, so I'm making sure everything is in order. But I just was not mentally all the way checked in. And mm-hmm. I did a lot of assuming as opposed to fine-tooth combing and asking questions. And I dropped the ball on attending something virtually that would have informed me on some timings. I also have mad friends in the game who were also on the carpet who I could have asked to be sure. But I didn't do that. I just assumed based on seeing that the carpet pre-show started at 3.30, that I was more than okay if I was at the um, carpet by 1, 1.30 because I would have more than enough time before the red carpet started on a 5 mm-hmm. p.m. start. We did get an email saying that the carpet opens at 11 a.m., but it's like, oh, just for like big TVs and platforms and things to be built and people to load in. But like people totally. started actually arriving at like noon. 
Um, oh my God. And so I got a call at like one as I was like putting on the wig, doing the final touches, getting on my way out. And it was just like, where are you? And it just a whole thing. And it just really deflated me. And the moment, you know, I have like a team of people in my house, like doing my makeup, doing my hair. I have uh, folks helping me with like doing social videos and things like that. So it was just like Mm -hmm. to have this call happen and to know that I wasn't there and to know that it was going to take me a minute to even get there, to not have a second to even luxuriate and like having this whole fabulous moment for myself. And it just all became anxiety immediately and getting there. But I still got there, still got an amazing uh, array of interviews, including Mm -hmm. one of the hosts, Regina Hall, because, you know, this past year it was three hosts, uh, Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and uh, Wanda Sykes. So Mm -hmm. still got Regina, still got a bunch of different interviews like Chloe and Hallie and got some, actually got away from Will and Jada, like different things like that. And so I I felt still really good about what I got, but I just really kicked myself for not paying attention diligently enough to details for such an epic moment. And that, you know, fumble messed up a relationship uh, with the person who was, you know, who hired me because they had a personal relationship with the person who produced the Oscars. It was this whole thing. And so it just really felt like a big failure on my end. And I beat myself up for a long time about it until I finally had to like just eat it and yeah. take a, a role of what can I learn from this and how can I move forward for the next opportunity in a way that's not going to be like, I'm not going to set myself up for failure. Right. So can I, can I ask, it sounds like aside from getting to the carpet late, everything else went great. It did. Are you that hard on yourself? I am, but also to have that type of feedback from the person who assigned me the job. To right. be like, okay. hey, girl, yeah, no, you no, could have no, did I this, totally you could have under- did that. But- yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, I, I mean, that, <laughs> wow, you really failed, Zenya. Wow, wow, wow. What a failure that, I am. But that, I mean, failure. I guess it sounds worse, but it, it really was a devastating <laughs> thing because it was just such a big deal. And well, you're I a perfectionist. Like you want to do the best job you can. It makes, t- <laughs> it makes total sense. Listen, that, like, the fear of failure is distressing. Yeah. I know in my own, like, when I used to compete, I obviously, one of my dreams was to go to the Olympics. And um, the first time I tried to qualify was in 2010. And the next time I tried to qualify was in 2014. And um, I uh, did not make the team in 2010, which it was that, you know, I was at if a lot of people made mistakes, I would have had like an opportunity, but they didn't. And I was young and I was like, whatever, I'm going to go in 2014. Right. And then when 2014 came around, I was going to be 24, which like in that world is... Ancient. Yeah. And it's like prime. And it's like, if it's not going to happen at 24, it might not ever happen. And it didn't happen. And it, it wasn't even close. And it was the first time that I felt like this dream I had wasn't going to come true. And I think that like, it was just something that was so stuck in my mind that like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And then I felt like I was smacked with this realization that like, this dream I've always had of going to the Olympics, like it's not 
it's not going to happen. And I put so much pressure on it happening that when I felt like it was my last opportunity to achieve this goal and when it didn't happen, that's when I felt like, okay, I've, I've failed. I wasted all this time. There were moments where like I had to like step up when the pressure was on and I didn't do it. And, um, I just felt like I couldn't handle pressure and Mm. I felt like I was, uh, a failure. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is failure. I'm just no, that's <laughs> fail. Yeah, you showed up late, sweetheart. I I spent 20 years being bad. That's failure. Oh my God, no. I love that you told that story though, because like that's such a real piece of life. Like I had a friend tell me, like, yo, people always, oh, work hard and you know, you're diligent and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, you're gonna make it. And like, honest to goodness, there's so many people who actually do work hard, diligently, and still don't, quote unquote, make it. Oh, totally. I think also what, what I learned in from, th- from that moment was that like, as I moved forward, I, I, got, I got to a place where obviously in the, like, so from that moment, there were four years to go. And in the next year, I was still, not, I just was not great. My head wasn't in it. And I finally got to a place where I was like, you know what, I need to, stop before this gets really sad. And I'm actually just wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, I had maybe like 10 weeks before we had like a national championships. And I was like, this is just, this is going to be the last one, but I'm going to like train as hard as I can. And I'm not going to give a fuck about anything else. Like if I win or whatever, but if I, if I'm my absolute best and I get like dead last, yeah. I'm going to be the best last pers- last place person that ever existed and so it's like who fucking cares and in that moment like i did so well at that next event because i didn't care and um so when we have these competitions we have a short program and a long program and in the short program i did one of the best short programs i've ever done and Mm -hmm. at the end of the event i was in fifth and at first i was like that fucking sucks yeah it's like if I was going to do my absolute best and my absolute best is like fifth right now, I didn't feel like my scores like matched up to the way that I skated. And I just felt kind of frustrated. And in that moment, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just do my best tomorrow. And in the next event, which is the long program, which like after that is you get your final placement. I just did so well. I did the best I've ever done. And I got this great score and it looked like I could win. And I was like, oh my God, like that it's this like fairy tale that like I come back, I just focus, I just want to do my best. And then the last skater comes out. He was super consistent the whole season. He had a big lead on me heading into the free skate. He does really well. He gets second in the free skate, easily beats me. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, great. Like I do my best. Right. And here we go again. Like I'm not, I, I, it's not good enough to win. And it was like, in that moment, I was like, but I'm still so like, shut up right. because I'm so happy with the way that I did that like, I could give a fuck about any metal or anything. And it was so liberating. And it was like the best thing to not win that event because I realized that like the winning didn't matter as yeah. long as that like success felt like success to me. And I think that like so many of us get hung up on like these 
things that we want to achieve that Mm -hmm. I know that myself that I've totally lost focus on like the way I want to feel when I complete something. Yeah. And when I think about that Mm -hmm. and I think about that feeling of accomplishment, that leads me into a direction and on a path that like I didn't even know to think of. Yeah, that's real. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when I focus more on like, how do I want to feel more than what do I want to achieve? Yeah. I get so much more satisfaction. And sometimes circumstantially, I'll achieve what I would hope to achieve. But like, I I enjoyed the journey of it so much more, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. I mean, that is the the crux of everything is to enjoy the actual journey. Because I think so many people spend so much time aspiring, which is like, you know, very necessary in the sake of like, you know, having goals and wanting to work towards something. But Mm -hmm. it's very important to like understand where you are currently and and how you are doing things that are supporting that for your future self. Um, I have more stats, Adam. I see it in this one is a little more, a little more accurate because it's almost half. But 49% of Americans, us again, agree that fear of failure prevents them from achieving or revisiting goals. And you told your failure story about, you know, not making it. But like, what made you get back up again? Because you revisited the goal. I think the thing is, is that, you know how you said earlier that like, you don't consider these things failures. Yeah. And I think it was reframing it and just thinking of them as like, if I learned something from this, it's not a failure because I learned something and I can improve upon it. Yeah. But I think that like when I made mistakes and I didn't learn from them or I was like, okay, that just didn't happen. I just wanted to like erase that memory. Mm -hmm. I repeated them. And so I didn't learn anything. So that that is that's failing, not learning anything from a mistake. Period. I think in those moments, I always thought that like it only feels if it only feels like a failure if you don't try. Because if you try and you just do your best, you can at least learn something from that. And if you do your best, there's no regrets that you could have tried harder or you could have done more. Yeah. If you did all the right prep work and everything, there's there's no there's no regret to it, which, uh, but the, this 49% makes way more sense than 31. I guess, is, is, I guess 31 is just like afraid of failure in general. As a whole, I guess, you know, but when they break it down a little bit, it says that like, okay, so 40% of American millennials have a fear of failure, but then 31% Gen X and then 23% for baby boomers. So <laughs> baby boomers okay, are baby like, boomers, fuck yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're on their way out. Gen X doesn't know enough to be afraid of failure. And 40% of millennials, I, I still, again, show me the other 60% who are living unafraid, unabashedly unafraid. Well, you know what? I don't know when they did this study, but I like so much is going to drastically change about a lot of these stats after <laughs> these pandemic years we have lived through as, as oh, humans. Yeah. Like, I think fears are shifted. Like we have bigger fears and bigger things that are are daunting. And so trying something is is more appeasing to people. It's more appealing to people because it's like, oh, wow, life is so fragile and short. 
Mm-hmm. You know, hence, like, if you've been listening, <laughs> we've had an episode <laughs> talking about normalizing uh, working, you know, from home or, and we talked a lot about the the great resignation and things that are happening with people now. And I do think that, like, I don't know, people are just kind of living a little fear more fearlessly now. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, there there's some other stats on here. It says 90% of CEOs agree that fear of failure is their main cause of distress. Only 8% of people with assets worth over $10 million have the fear of failure. That's such an interesting <laughs> stat because like, girl, what are you fearing with all that money? <laughs> Right. You know, the, you know, what's interesting, though, I had somebody tell me this, that like $10 million is the like golden threshold for not ever hap- having to worry about money. Yeah, because there's so much that you can like take off to invest and still have enough money to survive that like, yeah. you'll be fine. And there's more than enough money to invest in like a property, which always makes you more money back, right. you know, stuff like that. Like, I feel, yes, I, I would be fine okay, with so that wait, amount. Can I, I want to do a sidetrack for a second. Nobody tells you when you're broke that investments and like stocks and stuff, like there's money there. Well, it's not so much that nobody tells you, baby. I feel like nobody, if you're broke, you ain't got no stock, no stock money. Like I'm just right. like, I got ramen you can money, baby. Like is your checking account. That was the <laughs> only stock that I was investing in. It's not in. that I ain't told. It's just that like I gotta survive <laughs> the night. <laughs> I can't. Right. It's not that I is I haven't been told. It's that I'm just not telling anyone <laughs> that I'm not investing, and that was always the issue. Yeah. $10 million. If anyone has been listening to this and you've been wondering what the golden threshold is, it's $10 million. $10 if you less million. Than that, Keep listening. Maybe there's some tips and tricks but in listen, here to overcoming. CEOs, 90% of them say that it's their main cause of distress, fear of failure being their main cause of distress, which is like, not to be morbid or nothing, but like, those are the people that be jumping off the buildings when stuff goes bad. <laughs> right. And yeah. they're facing their little white man prison. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. they be jumping. So it they, is distra- it's distressful. It's just. Dis- it's just, I'm not laughing, I'm, you know, moment of you're silence. You're not laughing at, you're laughing with them. I get it. I, the last stat <laughs> we have is 51.8% of entrepreneurs in the, exclusively in the United Kingdom. Why them? Have a fear of, I don't know. They have a fear of startup failure. It's something about that, that I just do not care. It's like. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not going to fucking start up. <laughs> They're afraid. And you know what? I always knew the British would be I'm afraid. I'm choking mm-hmm. on my own laughter right now. You're so stupid. <laughs> they do not, like, come on. Every this entrepreneur. Is the, this is the craziest stat. This is the craziest <laughs> sentence I've ever read in English. 51%, 51.8% of entrepreneurs in the United Kingdom, period. That is the craziest sentence I've ever Not the United I've Kingdom. Ever, right. That's, Are we still calling the craziest it that? sentence. I think, like, legally. Yeah. But I think personally, we're just calling it... London. London. <laughs> England. <laughs> yeah, we're just calling the United Kingdom. It's just London. Um, and that's kind of... That's that on that when it comes that's to geography. That's we are with everything. <laughs> but Adam, now in your life, now that you're this amazing athlete turned personality turned just like, you know, incredible human in the world. Do you still feel like you have a fear of failure? 
Totally. I do. And, but you know, the thing that I always go back to is that like, when I was like, okay, it can't get any worse. When I truly felt like I was at, at rock bottom, I used to just be afraid that I was going to feel embarrassed or that like, I don't know, that I'd be letting people down. And and truly, it was just like a a full reflection of how I was going to feel about myself. You know, like I was going to be embarrassed because I didn't do what I wanted to do. I felt like I was going to feel like a failure. It was because also in those moments, I learned like how fleeting everyone's attention is, is that like maybe even if they talk shit behind your back, it's going to be for five minutes and they're going to move on. Yeah. So it's not even that serious. Yeah, and I think for me, now that like work is not the main thing that I care about and or now that I don't actually care too much about sharing myself on social media, it doesn't really matter to me any anymore what people think or don't think about what I do or how it plays out. And also because I'm hella vulnerable and open about not having everything all in, all my ducks in a row or everything in place. I think being vulnerable and and how honest you are is helpful. Probably, yeah. oh my god, it's such a it's the key. Yeah, it's the it's the most helpful thing I've ever experienced as far as like being able to even embrace what failure could be or what or even like being unafraid of of that. Like it's so mm-hmm. I'm just so open to what life has and all of that that I think if anything I'm afraid of is not experiencing things. So it doesn't, like, to me, like, I don't know if I failed or not. At least there was something I shot for, like, I was shooting towards, which is, like, I don't know. That's a lot to me. That's a lot of what life is for me. You know, I do think that that's the key, is that you go into all of these situations and that you you just want to get something out of them. Because Mm -hmm. I think, truly, that so much success and all of these things that we consider like the epitome of the, the top of a career or something, so many, so much of it can be circumstantial. Yeah. Being in the right place at the right time and, um, you know, doing something in front of someone who can help you further, you know, a, a, a career path of yours. And, and, and sometimes you're not in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that you don't get those opportunities that that somebody else might get circumstantially. And yeah. I think that feeling of, um, you know, going into a situation, just wanting to get the most out of it is the most important feeling that you can have. Yeah. Because I don't think it matters what position that you're in because the feelings are so relative to being in that position. Real. That, you know, like that, that feeling of like, God, I wish that I like, um, I had more of this or more of that. Like, I always think that like somebody who's had so much success that when you think of somebody who like Lady Gaga, I'm sure in her mind, she's like, I'd love to get like more Grammys because like, I don't have as many Grammys as Beyonce does. And (laughs) like, there's always somebody that even if you're at the very top, somebody's going to compare you. To, to that next person or you in your own mind have these role models or heroes and, and then you want to outdo what they've done. And, and it can be so, I don't know, it can feel like you can diminish your own success from it that if you don't focus on where you are and what you're mm-hmm. doing, it takes away so much of the joy. So many of us have been blessed enough to reach goals that we've set for ourselves or dreams that we've had since childhood that we've held on to. And speaking solely as someone who's been able to do that, sometimes you reach that stuff and you look around and you're like, oh, 
Yeah, that's what's so crazy. <laughs> right? So even yes. when it comes to having goals and things like that, when it when you think about the idea of being afraid to fail, like, y'all, sometimes when you don't fail, even that, it, it's kind of underwhelming. And yes. you have to end up remixing the dream and remixing a goal or or shifting it or creating some other goal for yourself. So I think that's like, it just helps you not feel like there's, failure there because there's so many other ways and things to have like dreams about you know what I mean like absolutely because if you focus I I mean I can just from my own experience of like going to the Olympics it's like something that I wanted to do forever right. but it comes and goes so quickly that I understand why people just get so burnt out from it I mean mm-hmm. I thought that I wouldn't because I was working a lot right after but it's this letdown of like oh my God, wait, that thing that I was so focused on was just like, it was a two week blip and it's gone. Right. This is a total side note. And I'm not saying that these things are the same, but I watched (laughs) the JLo doc on Netflix. Is it on Netflix? Yeah, I think so. Okay. On a streaming platform. And so (laughs) I watched the doc and I was like, when she's about to go uh, and perform at the Super Bowl. I'm mm-hmm. like watching this and I'm, and you know, they have all of that footage of her behind the scenes and they're about to go. They're setting up all the whole stage on the field. And I rem- remember watching this and I'm like, oh my God, what that, this must be so an, inc- an incredible and crazy feeling that she must be feeling that she's about to go. And it's like the pinnacle of, you know, of a performer's career is one of those incredible things that so many people strive for is to perform at the Super Bowl. Yeah. And at the same time, I was thinking that I was like, you know, I I feel like that's kind of like the Olympics. And it made me come go back to my own like experience at the Olympics. And I remember like, obviously, when I had dreamed of going to the Olympics a million times, I dreamed it would be this incredible, bigger than life thing. Yeah. And I really feel like the whole reason that I even got to go and qualified and was like at doing my best later in my career was because I had just like, it wasn't my focus. My focus was like the moments that I was in and like getting the most out of them. Right. And I remember being like, I knew it was the Olympics. But that self-talk I had was like, this is just like everything you've done every single day. Like, don't make this any bigger Mm. or any more important than it has to be. Like, just do what you've done a million times. And it's so crazy because I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sure she's probably thinking that. I'm sure she's feeling this adrenaline, but it's like this moment that you're like, oh my God, this is the biggest thing ever. But for you to really be in control and be present, you're like, this is not special. This isn't important. This is just another day. Like, it's so wild that those thoughts go through and you're like, this is so big. Yeah. Adam, before we close this whole thing out, what are we normalizing about failure today? Well, I think that we have to normalize admitting failure, right? Oh, yeah. Because uh, failure be needs to be acknowledged. And be, it's we the have first to, step. It, it is the first step. And we have to like, you have to feel that failure because it's the only time you're really going to learn from those situations that you've been in. And if you yeah. learn from them, then there's then you really haven't failed. It's a, it's it was a time for you to grow and improve and educate yourself. Yeah, and I would never want to downplay people's emotions attached to what they could deem a failure in their lives. 
Um, so feel your feelings. Allow yourself to, totally, to feel yes. what you feel about what has happened, wherever you feel that you have failed and move forward. You know, allow yourself to get through those emotions. But knowing that that thing is a failure it should give you to me. I'm like, oh, that's how I take the victory. I, I failed already. I did it. Right. And it's that first step into moving in the next direction. Mm, talk about moving in that next direction, you know, picking the feet up. It takes, yeah, yeah it takes some, I don't know, it takes some callous after a while. That's why I feel like Adam and I, like, we both feel like, well, you know, I'm not as, a, as afraid of failure. And I think that has come from several failures, which 100%. have just <laughs> built up a callous of failures. So it, it's the it's the most beautiful part to me of, of failing. Yeah. You only become unafraid of failing mm-hmm. if you have failed. Coming from a true failure. Love Coming from that. a failure, <laughs> me, it's true. I'm my Coming Peter from Callist. a true failure. I'm a, cal- I'm a walking I am callus. a whole callus out here. Uh, Listen, I also want to normalize not comparing yourself to other people. Because that's yeah. one of them things... Failure could really tear you apart when you think that you're supposed to be doing something that someone else is doing, you know, right. and, and the highest achievers in the world are looking up at someone else. Beyonce mm-hmm. admires people. You know what I mean? So it's, it's human nature. It's human nature. It's not fair because it's right. so beautiful to, just to be who you are that comparing doesn't even make sense. You're so uniquely you know, who you are. Danielle, when I used to compete, I used to be so always looking around and obviously in a competitive arena, you know, there's they come out and there's a there's a result of a first all the way through the last place. And it's easy to compare yourself. And I finally got to a point that this is a lesson I've translated from my athletic career that when other people have success, it doesn't take away from my own success. Mm. And it it took failing and it took being in situations where I felt really good about what I did. And I also was able to feel really good about other people's successes. And yeah. it's really liberating to be able to admire, like you said, yeah. and but not compare. Oh, I love that. You know, you gotta, you gotta study, study, not hate. Study, not hate. Yeah, study, not hate. If someone's going to give you a view of what you think you want, then okay, look at it. Study it. Right. Yes. Don't compare yourself to it. Allow yourself to be still uniquely who you are, but be like, okay, oh, this is how they move. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, don't compare yourself to other people. No. It never, ever, ever is the right option. Um, I think it's time to move into my favorite segment, which I like to call Keep, Keep it, it or Curb, curb it. it. Very so close. I remember this song. I very, mean, I, very close. Yeah. The um, notes were debatable from my end. Debatable. For those of you who may or may not be new to listening to this podcast, this is a segment where we take a look at new social trends and decide if they're worth keeping or curbing. I'm going to kick it off with the first question. Okay, Adam, you ready? Please, go ahead. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to keep or curb anything. It's got something to do with one of my favorite things, which is food. Love. So, yeah. 
<laughs> but about 36% of Americans cook at home on a daily basis. 13.7% of those surveyed prepare meals at home because of a strong passion for cooking. As a result of the pandemic, Americans are both cooking and baking more. Sounds good for them. Should we keep or <laughs> should we keep or curb cooking at home on a daily basis? Okay, I think we should keep it, but I feel like you have I am some a strong... failure at cooking at home. Okay, that I don't want to believe that, but like continue. No. It's just that like the pandemic, we were just cooking so much. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was all on I know. me. It was, it was literally all on your slight shoulders. Yeah, and I was doing so much. My husband is European, and mm. I feel like in... And good night. That's all. That's, all, that's just all I was going to say. <laughs> Delicious. Or as we like, like to call it, London. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband is from London, <laughs> and... He, okay, basically, you know how, like, people will make different meals and they'll be like, this is my grandma made this or something like that, right? Well, I feel like, you know, all of those things, sometimes you'll be, like, on on the internet and something will come up and it'll be somebody talking about, like, white people don't flavor their food or, like, they don't Mm. spice their food. We like to call it season. Right. (laughs) I don't season your food. No. I'm going to give you a firsthand account. Now, this is a really personal story, but I remember that my mom growing up, my mom's favorite thing to make, and I quote, is a can of diced tomatoes thrown into a pot, then two chicken breasts, no salt, no pepper, al dente. Go ahead, eat it, done. What else is in the pot? That's it, honey. With so it's a just sizzling with the it's tomatoes? boiled chicken. Yes, because red is a flavor. If you're white, red is a flavor. And it's Wait, the seasoning. So it's, it's, and it's just the chicken that, and, and no... And yeah, I bet she didn't so, even clean the chicken either, child. Uh, boiling is cleaning, oh, by God. the way. <laughs> <laughs> How are you alive? I don't know. But I also, I'll say, I think millennials, and I can speak from being white firsthand (laughs) that I think it's, and I definitely think it's a a white thing that growing up, lots of frozen, lots of pre-made. And I think that that's just like our generation. Like if you're like a a millennial white person and then Mm. listen, I'm speaking to myself. I'm looking in a mirror right now. I'm making eye contact with myself (laughs) and I'm saying, huh, because I, when I think of like childhood dinners and this turned me off from cooking and I was like, I can't, I don't, I don't want to do it because when I think of like what I ate as a kid, it was some, a lot of fish sticks. There were some fish sticks in there. Fish sticks are the worst. There were a lot of, it continues. There were a lot of um, the flake potatoes that turn into a mashed potato somehow. (laughs) I know those guys. We called it because there was a restaurant near my house called Armetta's Pizza and they had basically like breaded chicken breasts. Like this is, and, and we would go, oh, Armetta's chicken. And it was like from Sam's Club, okay? So like oh the God. pickings are slim. But I remember we had the chicken, the fish sticks, pastas, and the, and the you know, the uh, instant mashed potatoes and green beans out of a can. That That's what made me. That was my gasoline. Oof. 
child. That made me feel like I don't want to cook at home. But I could why? understand that. Because boiled chicken doesn't sound good. Oh my God, good. yeah. What a, what a nightmare. I mean, what a, as a kid a who often, my mom definitely cooked almost every day for us breakfast, lunch, and dinner because that is like what you do when you don't have a lot of money and, and there's children. And because it's like going out to a place is going to cost so much more. Totally. Um, and so like we often had our meals cooked. But the upside was that my mom is a great cook. So it would be really, really good meals and not just the chicken with the tomatoes. Like my mama going to clean and season that chicken and it's going to be cooked mm-hmm. up, you know, mm-hmm. with some gravy. It's going to ha- it's going to have some rice. It's gonna- so that I'm very, yeah, I'm very used to a home cooked meal. But I was that kid. Any kid that grows up with home cooked meals all the time wants McDonald's. And you're not going to get that. So it was like I started detesting home cooked food. And now that I'm like a grown up who goes out to restaurants and things and I can afford to eat nice things, I really like doing that. Don't get me wrong. I do like a nice home cook moment. But yeah. for the most part in my life right now, she's at a restaurant. So in the in the idea of keeping and curbing, Adam, I'm going to say I'm going to curb cooking at home on a daily basis. Okay, good. Good for you. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to say... Me free. I, you're, you are free and I am back at the chains of my own home because I'm going to keep it because... You need to learn. How yeah, JP's just a good and cook. Tomatoes and, oh. He's a good cook and that and JP, that bitch likes to season <laughs> things. So I, I'm, so I'm making up for lost time. So now you've had chicken and you yeah. don't know how to act. Exactly. Mm, congratulations. Thank you. Love okay, this so, for you. Here's the next keep or curb, okay? I I don't know. All right, I'm ready to go. (laughs) A couple from Chicago went viral for posting a video of their baby shower. While Mm -hmm. nothing exploded or burned down, things got spicy after the expecting mother asked for anyone who did not bring a gift to leave the party. So she said, some people came... Okay, which is, I think, okay, I'm going to, before I even finish, I'm going to say that I feel like is is so intense. She said, some people came that didn't bring a gift. And if you came without a gift, you can go ahead and leave. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, goodbye. It's the attitude. It's it's the energy. It's the attitude. Okay, go. Please go ahead, Danielle. Are we keeping or curbing? No gifts. I guess we're gonna keep the baby, curb the mother. That is <laughs> insane behavior. That's totally wild. It what? is. You don't know hormonally what is going on with pregnant women, so I don't want to speak against this bringer of life into the world. However, baby showers are typically where a mother expect an expecting set of parents racks up on a lot of baby things that they may need because it's also a time where you're nesting and a time where after you're giving birth and you're just at the house because your body is recovering and there's not, you know, and nowadays there's a lot more, you know, digital Instacarts and things you could do. But like, I think the tradition is just supporting a new family as they are, you know, bringing this new life into the world. So they're very used to getting all these things at the baby shower. So, in the Uh, sense of tradition, it is a little jacked up because what is the point of you coming to my baby shower if you are not here to celebrate and gift my baby? 
And right. baby shower gifts are so minuscule, like, they're just not minuscule, like, also, but just honestly, like, diapers and things that they may need are not that crazy. So if you right. couldn't even take it upon yourself to even get me a diaper for my child and you come right. in <laughs> to eat my meatballs at the baby shower... You know, I don't think I'm gonna you should say, be in my baby shower. Like there, there it's are like, two two not well people in this scenario. The person who showed up without a gift to the baby shower and the person telling that person who showed up without a gift. Actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, she's right. I'm on see, the mother's side. I'm trying to tell you, you need to just stick with me, kid. It it's <laughs> Wait, you, actually, yeah, because I'm I when I first read it, I was like, It's weird That's for crazy. you to show up at a baby shower with no gift. Like maybe if you yeah. show up at my birthday party, depending on what age I am or whatever, but like it, it to me, but I'm still from the the school of thought of showing at showing up at somebody's house with uh, empty-handed is wrong. You yeah. know, I'm not going to oh, yeah. you know, I show up to your house I'm bringing a bottle of wine. I'm bringing a game. I'm bringing a snack. I'm, you know, like I'm going to contribute to the fact that I'm in your house. But right. That's that's kind of just how. Huh. Yeah. Courtesy. You know what? I, that's like a courtesy I, thing. You know what I know is going to be a running theme is that I'm going to have one opinion and then I'm going to talk about it for one minute, 60 <laughs> solid seconds, and I'm going to completely flip and flop. Listen, because I make good arguments. Yeah, you do. It's, You're the just, lawyer of this podcast. Means a lot to, <laughs> period, laying down the law. But nah, not for nothing. You are a weirdo for showing up at my baby shower without a gift. You could also yeah, just not weird. come. Because I know you're going to go over there and fix a plate. I know yeah. you are. See, that would be weird. I think that's that's totally weird. Don't, sh- don't bring anything and then eat stuff. Yeah, because then also, like, no. people are also not going to be like, oh, girl, put the plate down. Like right. you, so I don't want to have to do that. Like, don't make my, me, don't make me do this. Self talk. That's my self talk. Don't don't Girl, make don't make me down. don't make me embarrass you at my baby shower. Also, don't upset me because I'm very close to delivery. So, like, right, we're doing what we can to make this mother, any mother who is about to give birth, feel comfortable and feel supported. So don't don't irritate her. Yeah. All right. Okay. My official so we are curbing. We're keeping. Curbing. We're keeping bringing gifts to the baby shower and curbing everyone who doesn't bring one. Yeah. But she agreed. was, that was a fun rant though. What a good time. Yeah. Curb. We curbed on. <laughs> Adam, let's move into our next keep it or curb it. I'm ready. Yes. Um, so this is our final one. So it's going to be juicy. It's about kids and careers. Two mm-hmm. things that I'm just rolling my eyes at, to be honest. <laughs> <Right>. Okay, <laughs> we're actually curbing careers and children. And definitely leaving the kids out. on the curb. Yeah. <laughs> Get done. outside. You're done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in recent years, dozens of summer camps have sprung up around the country for kids who want to explore YouTubing. No. <laughs> no. Immediately no. <laughs> <laughs> They want to explore YouTubing as a career path, okay? Uh-huh. Julie Jargon, a columnist. Not Julie. Julie Ms. Jargon. Miss Jar- Jargon. Miss Jargon, a columnist at the Wall Street Journal, uh-huh. very reputable publication, mm-hmm. wrote about this very burgeoning topic of YouTube career path. And she said that they're teaching kids to create their own unique voice. 
so that they can stand out in a crowd of YouTubers and develop original content. Jesus wept. Julie didn't say that part. That was me. (laughs) She ended it with Jesus (laughs) Jesus, wept. Jesus wept and it continues to weep. Adam, are we keeping or curbing the YouTube kids of the future? Teaching YouTube as a career. I'm already going to say Curb and then run over it. Yeah. Uh, Curb, I'm in the car and I'm holding your hands and I have one foot above the gas. (laughs) I'm ready to, I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to roll over it. I'm ready to gun it. Like y'all get closer to your headphones or to your speaker. We are running out of recipes. We need more doctors. We need more lawyers. We need more people that can fix things. We need plumbers. We need teachers. (laughs) We need people with the collars that are blue. I know that YouTube and social media and the internet is making a way for all of us to create really beautiful lives of living on the internet and getting paid for it. But mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, what are y'all going to do in 2052 when ain't no doctors out here but the ones on the TikTok? <laughs> right, because you know I'm taking all of my dermatological <laughs> advice from, from, from someone who probably has a... TikTok. Yes. You know, I, I don't even know the credentials of some of these doctors. You know, the, okay, and they wait, just be I, on here in scrubs on the green screen. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get those off Amazon. You can get I can scrubs, order scrubs on scrubs Amazon right now. I, my, I'm going to do and it. I'm going to start a TikTok. No, but please curb this because not, I mean, I want freedom for us all. I want everybody uh, to feel like, oh, I can be myself and, and get so paid. But like, I, I want to play devil's advocate. You can't teach somebody to have a voice. Right? No. Am I wrong no. about that? No, normalize being voiceless. I mean, like Normal- you're, te- you're, te- <laughs> Actually, you you're know teaching what? We should normalize them to how to create a unique voice when your unique voice is already yours. Yeah. I mean, if you go on TikTok or something and you read some of the comments, you should people should normalize having no voice because sometimes people shouldn't be writing some of the stuff they do or posting some of the stuff they do. Mass producing the next iteration of YouTubers. Like this should be something that people get into if they are interested and they're consistent and they can build their following, do whatever you want to do. But what do you say to the kids that are interested when they're young, right? Like they, they want to learn. If you know, Which I is think happening why- because there's a lot of parents who are like gamers and uh, like my nephew likes watching. There's this family where the dad has always played. Yeah, the dad has always played video games and different things like that. And he'll do it. And now his kids are like a part of it. So where it feels like a little bit vloggy, a little bit gamer. Um, but it's like gener- intergenerational. Now the kids are like making their internet money. They they bought a house. They bought cars while they were, you know, living on the internet. Mm-hmm. That's and my just fan, so and my weird. It's knows so wild. All of this about them because he's watching them from the time before the man even had kids, and his kids are like, there's a teenager and like an eight year old now. So it's like, and they're raising their kids to understand that they can have these type of careers too. Mm-hmm. I Which mean, listen, like, like, it's nice. I know it is. But like, yeah, what, really, what are y'all going to do when ain't nobody doing the jobs that need to be done? Yeah. And I think, you know, I always think of like the influencer of it all. Oh, yeah. And people who like fall into 
you know, they get, they get a huge audience, but I think, you know why I think being an influencer and being a YouTube, I think it's so volatile because the whole talent is like just that person. And it's, you know, it's just being interested in this person that like, I I think that when you see somebody who's like an, an actor or other people who like are, you know, do some influencing stuff on the side that, almost like to just mentally be able to like deal with the back and forth of it all. I don't even, I'm literally, words are coming out of my mouth and I'm going, <laughs> what's happening to me? I'm having a mental breakdown. It's but you know what, do you know Celsius. what I'm trying to say? That at least, like if you have a career that people are following, it's totally different than if it's just you. Because that's yeah, when there's people a difference just between like, you literally being a YouTuber and just like, trying to come up with things to show people versus you're living your life and it's interesting and you're showing people. Yes. And it feels like awful because like there is that like burnout from like you ha- just have to constantly keep going. And, oh, and yeah. when you have God something that's... people that can, but... Ugh. I don't know. I curb. am going to curb it all the way and again, run over it. Um, Back up and run over it again. Please, yeah. and I'm in the car. Look towards medical school. Just, I know it's a lot of schooling <laughs> and a lot of loans, and it's very tough. But just in case, in 40 years, like we don't have any more doctors, right? We just but we're we gonna will need have ya. a really great YouTubers, which will, that'll be good though. But wow, like, comment, and subscribe. We are coming towards the end of this episode of Normalize This, your new favorite podcast. Mm-hmm. Adam, I really want to know from you the takeaways of failure. And normalizing um, it. Are we normalizing failure? I think we should. It's been normal. It's normal as hell to me. Yeah. I'm failing failing has right been normal. Now. And I think my biggest, and there's been no bigger failure than the United Kingdom, to be honest. <laughs> and that's why <laughs> I'm London. normalizing that the United Kingdom is just, Europe is London. And All that's of what Europe I'm taking is away. just London. Rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> <laughs> the, Europe is London. To Sorry. The pain, we're making decisions around you know, the way the things should be now. Okay. Well, everybody, that's our time. I'm so glad that you love yourself enough to listen to us. So, you know, just keep doing you. that. Yeah, because we do love you. Keep yes. doing that. Keep making good decisions like that. Mm-hmm. Rate us, comment on it everywhere that you can comment. Like, go on other people's podcasts and comment about our podcast. Yeah, we and love then, that. I we would love really that. love that. I love a battle. And then, like, subscribe. Don't forget that. It's very important that you yeah. do that part. Wherever you listen to your podcast, reach out to us on social media. I'm going to tell you a million times. I'm at the Danielle Young on Instagram, at Rapsodanny on, on, on Instagram, on Twitter. I need you to t- just DM me all of your nudes. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Nudes, and we'll normalize them. And you just find me. I'm on social media too. Just find me, DM us, let us know. We'll normalize whatever you want. Give us five stars. Nothing less. Yes. Beautiful reviews. Thank you. Next we, time, we, I'm going to have more, more things to tell you about myself, but also about Adam. Yeah. It's going to get intimate. It will. It, and it usually does. So we love you guys. Thank you so yes. much. And until next time. Keep failing and keep, yeah. <laughs> keep failing, everyone. Good night and good morning. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, listeners, we want to hear from you. Make sure you're following at Make Spring Hill on all platforms for weekly show updates.